Welcome back to Community Connection. I'm Iowa City Mayor Bruce Teague. COVID-19 has thrown our world into an upheaval, and this show takes the time to highlight the outstanding work of our community partners during this pandemic. Iowa City is the home of the state's largest, most comprehensive hospital. The University of Iowa Hospitals and Clinic is at the heart of the fight against COVID-19. Here to discuss those response efforts is UIHC CEO Suresh Gunasekaran. Thanks for joining me, Suresh. Good to be with you, Mayor T. Yes, so I know you all are extremely busy over there at the University of Iowa during this pandemic trying to figure it all out. Um, but this isn't the first time that you all have dealt with a crisis. So how is this in comparison to other crises that you all have dealt with? COVID-19 is certainly a novel thing to, our, to the University of Iowa. Yeah, we've prepared for a lot of different emergencies. We obviously had a lot of a very interesting challenges during the flood um, that I wasn't here for, but I know that it radically changed operations, made it very difficult for us to get our, our staff in, our uh, patients in, other things. We've dealt with Ebola um, and those kinds of things, but nothing um, is like our present situation uh, to be in, in the midst of such a broad pandemic that's affecting not only our region, but the entire nation. And so this is really unique times. The good news is that we've prepared for things like this. And there are certain things you've been, you, you prepare for, and then other things you just got to learn along the way. So we were well prepared, but I will say over the last two months, we've also learned a great deal too. So uh, we're, we're feeling pretty good. Certainly, I think the learning curve is certainly at its highest with what you all are learning. But as far as like the treatment options, that a lot of that information is coming down from the state. What's the criteria? The state has some, CDC may have some. What are you all doing and how are you, what are you abiding by for a criteria for people to be tested? For testing, okay. So for testing, um, we uh, abide by the uh, IDPH criteria for folks to be tested. So uh, again, for any Iowa City resident that's concerned about their health status, it begins with talking to your doctor. And so uh, talk to your doctor, make sure that the symptoms um, are being managed and they will guide you through a process of getting you tested. If you don't have a physician that's established, you can certainly call University of Iowa Healthcare. You can come call our main number, you can go to our website um, and we can, we can hook you up. But generally speaking, um, the purpose of testing is to test folks that are symptomatic. Um, so that you must presently be experiencing the common symptoms of COVID in order to be tested. And so that does include the highly publicized um, fever, uh, presence of cough, potentially shortness of breath, um, potentially loss of uh, your sense of taste or smell. Um, and so these are some of the criteria that are there. There's all, what's also taken into account is if you have been exposed to someone who has been laboratory confirmed uh, with COVID-19 uh, as well. And so all of this, your medical professional can help guide you through and um, uh, will make you eligible for a test. So the biggest challenge with Iowa has been that testing where a lot of information has been a little bit confusing to those that are seeking tests, those that are prescribers, to actually order the test as far as 
who's appropriate, who's not appropriate. I've heard it as an elected official where people are calling me with their stories, their real stories, where, you know, sometimes they've been in the same house or in close proximity with someone that has tested positive, or they are, you know, themselves even uh, displaying some symptoms, and they've been told they're too young. Even though we know from what you've told us, you have COVID, without a doubt, we're going to treat you as if you have COVID, but we're not going to give you the test. I understand there could still be a lack of the availability of tests, so we just can't, you know, go out and test everybody. But when I think about the numbers that we're looking at in the state of, in, in Johnson County specifically, I know that they're not actually right. Um, from a large percentage. So what would you say to individuals that actually have called the hospital and have gotten that deemed status verbally of being COVID-19 positive, but they are being denied the test for, for whatever reason? Yeah, uh, I think the criteria have changed a lot over time. And uh, I still think uh, the public's confidence in our testing is going to continue to be lacking as long as we don't have enough testing. I mean, under normal circumstances, if uh, it was flu season in Iowa City, it didn't matter which doctor you went to, if you had flu-like symptoms, you could get your hands on a flu test. There wouldn't be a very complicated process for that. And that's because the technology around the flu test is pretty simple. So it's been already packaged into something that can be a rapid test. Um, most doctor's offices ca carry a stock of those tests, and if they can't do it, others can do it. And we're used to living in a country where if you have flu-like symptoms, you can figure out whether you have the flu or not relatively quickly. Unfortunately, the situation is a, it's a natural, national crisis, and it's a state crisis, is that uh, COVID-19 testing is just not like that. It's not down to uh, as much as uh, various different leaders may uh, tell you. Um, that technology, although only recently developed to make it a quick test, um, the type of quick test doesn't have that kind of supplies and test kits that all of us have access to. And specifically, the UI hospitals and clinics do not have access to any of those tests in any great abundance. And so we are living with a testing scarcity. And so all of the IDPH guidelines uh, recognize that uh, the COVID testing capabilities are not equivalent to the flu test capabilities. And unfortunately, what that leads to, Mayor Teague, is what you said is absolutely correct. There are going to be folks um, that don't meet criteria largely because they're not symptomatic. I might have been exposed to someone who has COVID-19. I might live with someone that has COVID-19, but I am younger and I don't have any symptoms yet. And so that's a really frustrating place to be um, because we know that the disease progression could take days or weeks. And uh, I feel for it. Um, I feel for everyone. But uh, unfortunately, what we do have to do is reserve the testing um, for the folks that meet the criteria because the science does show us that um, the disease progresses and those that are going to have the most serious repercussions will develop symptoms. And so, uh, it's important that we really use it uh, for that purpose. And I understand we do have limited amount of tests within our community, and we do understand the position that the university is being put in. I guess coming from someone 
that I've heard from as far as like they wanted a test, they wanted to know their risk at being COVID-19 positive. And for them, they wanted the assurance that yes, they have to do these steps to protect others. And if they've been in contact with people in close proximity, they could at least go to them and definitively say, I am COVID-19 positive. But I, we, we certainly do understand the position you're in. As far as a capacity for the hospital, where are your, what's your capacity for even testing per day? Do you all have any priorities or limitations like that? How many people are in your hospital that are COVID-19 positive? We're Johnson County and you all are a state hospital where others can be coming in, you know, into our, into our community, especially when we're considering the meat packing factories that, you know, have essentially had this increase in COVID-19 positive cases. So what is the university capacity right now? Sure, let's uh, talk through that, but I wanna start by uh, recognizing the good work that you've been doing. Um, because I think that one thing that even though we are the hospital and uh, we are medical providers, um, uh, city leaders such as yourself have been instrumental in getting out the absolute key message which is that if we're gonna put the community first, then everyone does need to behave as if they do have COVID-19 and everybody they come into contact with, they treat in, in, in that manner. And I, and I think that you've been very clear on that message, the need to socially distance at all times and uh, to uh, practice good hand hygiene at all times, to limit our activities within the community at all times, except for essential needs those are the real blueprint to how we're succeeding and why Johnson County has been uh, not exploding. In fact, our data looks good. And that's a, that's a referendum on our community leaders. That's a referendum on our citizens. And it reflects really, really well. It's not the hospital that makes those numbers look good. It's, it's, it's the community. And I just want to commend you for that. And that's why even if testing is not adequate, even if testing were adequate, we'd still want to follow your blueprint. Um, and so I just want to make sure to emphasize that point while I'm with you. But now I to your question. Now, I, I certainly appreciate hearing that because I, one of the things that I've been telling anyone is definitely that message. Treat everyone as if they're COVID-19 positive. Even yourself, act like you're COVID-19 positive and do those leave home only when you have to. And for the individuals that are not able to get testing, and being denied for whatever the reason is, do what you can. Certainly if the doctor is telling you that you're COVID-19 positive, but we're not gonna test you for whatever the reason is, to stay at home for 10 days, please stay at home for 10 days. Call your job, let them know if you cannot work. Call those individuals that you've been in close proximity to and say, I don't have a confirmed test, but again, I've talked to my physician who said that more than 99.9% .9 they're positive that I have COVID-19. So I, you're exactly right. Even for the ones that cannot and won't be tested, we do, because we're in this together, there are things that we can do along the way to keep all of us safe. Well said. And I think that the, uh, the other part of the answer to your question is, you'd be surprised to know because Johnson County is doing so well, that uh, out of the 850 beds that we operate on a normal basis at the University of Iowa in hospitals and clinics, that we have um, under 30 patients 
um, in-house today that are COVID-19 positive. Um, it's, it's a very small number. Um, we have actually more empty beds uh, than we have uh, COVID-19 positive beds. Um, as uh, we have seen uh, the delivery of healthcare slow down in, in the state, um, we have experienced um, a lot more bed availability. So the good news for the community is two things. One, we have a low number of cases uh, in-house. All of those patients are 100% isolated and segregated on dedicated units. So the University of Iowa hospitals and clinics are still a very safe place for you to receive care. We're not overrun by COVID by any means, and we can handle both. Uh, the other side of this is also that you had asked with meatpacking uh, plants that now uh, are having outbreaks or nursing homes, do we have cases from around the state? Uh, we do have cases from around the state, but including those, we only have 30 in total. Um, but the real reason is uh, the state government and the public health department have worked together to make sure that in each region of Iowa that they are prepared um, uh, to take care of patients. So the hospitals have decided to work together to make sure to keep the patients in that region as much as possible so that no individual hospital gets overwhelmed. Under normal circumstances, there might have been a thought that at all times, take every one of these patients and send them to Iowa City. That is not happening. What's happening is that each community is trying its best um, to keep patients there so that uh, University of Iowa can really be a last uh, ditch uh, effort and also just be ready for the citizens of Johnson County and the surrounding counties around here. And so uh, we are seeing that process come to play. And uh, the good news for Iowa City is that we are ready, willing, and able to take care of our own community at full strength. And uh, we can do, take care of patients that are both COVID positive as well as other patients as well. Happy to hear this update. And, and the heroes that work at the University of Iowa hospital to, hospitals and clinics, thanks to all of you, you have your nurses and your, um, I mean, it, the number go on and on about everyone that's involved in the process, even the, the maintenance staff, their involvement, they, those are frontline workers. So thanks to everybody that is over at the University of Iowa Hospitals and Clinics for all that you're doing. Now, in response to the direct care of patients, the nursing staff, how are you all doing on the nursing staff? We've heard the governor talking about a shortage of nurses throughout our state. How is, what is your response there? And even the, the level of ability for your nurses to work, because there are some people with underlying conditions and it may not be advisable for them to work. What are you all seeing as far as your nurses, those ones that are providing direct patient care to COVID-19 patients? Yeah, we're really fortunate to have one of the best nursing organizations of any hospital in the state. We've got great leadership all the way down to the nurse that's going to work with you at the bedside. Um, we've got a great team. So let me tell you how it's going. Uh, the one thing is we don't have a shortage right now at UI Healthcare for nurses. We have enough nurses to do the work that we need to. So everyone's able to work their normal shifts. As I mentioned, a lot of the hospital is still empty. So that allows us not to overextend individuals. We're really able to support one another. Uh, the second piece is, is that uh, unlike 
other areas of the country throughout this entire process, we have had enough PPE for our nursing staff the whole time. And so every chance uh, that every time that a, a nurse has had to take care of a patient, uh, he or she has uh, the appropriate uh, protective equipment to do that. But even with all of that being said, not having a shortage, um, having enough PPE, our staff is stressed out. Um, it's, no, it's a natural part of the fear associated with the pandemic. Uh, they have to live with the responsibility of always being on the top of their game for social distancing and hand hygiene. They have to go back home um, to family and loved ones and you, and you never know um, what that lapse and anything could be. And so uh, we really do believe uh, all of our frontline workers, not just our nurses, as you mentioned, from our maintenance staff to our housekeeping staff to our food service workers, um, all of us are in it together. But these are difficult times to be a healthcare worker and have to come into work every single time in the face of these odds. The other reality, uh, Mayor Teague, is just like uh, uh, all sorts of businesses are getting devastated during this time as society kind of shuts down, uh, hospitals are also feeling the financial pressures too. And so uh, uh, UI hospitals and clinics is no different than, uh, than other places. And there are financial stresses associated with uh, the losses we're suffering, et cetera. So the same workforce that's on the front lines of taking care of patients also has to worry about how's this all gonna work out financially. And so I think there are a lot of reasons why uh, this is a stressful situation, but we've tried our best by providing um, support and counseling, um, uh, support for our, our staff. We've tried to do the little things. A lot of Iowa City restaurants are bringing a, a little bit of sunshine into the hospital. We've started a program so that uh, our cafeteria now resells food from area restaurants each day. Um, so our, our staff um, can get a little taste of Iowa City without having to leave uh, the building. Um, you know, we've been able to do the little things. and. Uh, Hearing kind words from you and the community uh, in, in videos like this, or even on social media or in other ways has also helped fortify our staff. But uh, I think we're getting used to the idea that this isn't going away and that this is gonna be around a while. And that's causing everyone to get a little cranky. I mean, it's, it's you know, it, it, we all wanna do the right thing. I wanna do the right thing. But uh, the longer this goes on, all of us miss the old way. And uh, I, I just think that at UI hospitals and clinics, we're just trying to get used to this new normal and uh, be happy and successful in it. But like you said before, it's a learning curve. Well, thanks again to all of the frontline workers. Honestly, they are the ones that are making it happen. Where individuals within our community, they just don't have that ability to care for COVID-19 in the way that they're that that the hospital staff is doing it. So thanks to all those workers. As far as like visitation, what's happening there for people that are maybe in COVID-19 units and for those that are not in COVID-19 units, what does that look like if I had a sure. loved one in your care right now? Um, it's different. Um, and you know, one of the real tragedies of this uh, COVID pandemic, uh, and I'll start with the COVID patients is, uh, the disease is so infectious. It's so easy to transmit this disease. And so for that reason, we know social distancing is really important. And unfortunately, what that means is that we've had to radically limit the number of visitors that we have. COVID-19 positive patients do not get visitors. Um, we have set up 
mechanisms by which people can FaceTime or video conference with their loved one, but they do not get um, uh, visitors unless it's a, an unfortunate kind of like end of life type situation. It's about the only time or some critical medical decision is being made. We've also had to apply that to the rest of the house. And so we have severely limited uh, visitors for all patients in an effort to have the number of people in our space decreased because we know that the more people that you have coming through the hospital, it can put our uh, patients at risk um, of catching it from someone who's asymptomatic. Um, it could also increase the risk to our staff. Um, and so even though we temperature screen all of our staff and visitors, even though we check everyone for symptoms, we made the tough decision to uh, limit visitors, except for in those unique circumstances, birth of a child, if you have a, if you have a, if the patient is a, is a kid, making sure that they have a parent with them, um, uh, very complex surgeries that are uh, important. We've granted exceptions, but overall, the goal has been to limit the number of visitors in the building. It is definitely a different time when you hear that you can't visit a loved one in, in the hospital, but it's totally understandable during this time. You're exactly right. The transmission rate is, is a high risk. And so um, for those families out there that are experiencing this, my heart goes out to you and I'm sure the hospital staff recognize the difficulty that this is placing upon the loved ones, but um, it is is at a necessity and protection for all that, um, for the entire community. One of the things- I would say one thing uh, in addition to that is we've assigned dedicated staff that are called communication liaisons, that every uh, patient that comes to our hospital that's uh, in-house gets a communication liaison. That's a person who's dedicated to answering the questions of your family or friends that are off campus. Um, answering the questions, making sure that they feel connected, that they can feel connected to their loved one. And as I mentioned, through video conferencing or whatever needs to happen, but we know this connection is important. And as we get used to this new normal, we are willing to uh, uh, involve the necessary staff to make sure that our patients stay connected to their loved ones. One of the questions that I have for you now is related to the governor just kind of lightened up some of the restrictions in 77 counties and Iowa, Johnson County was not one of those. Looking at the future and what might happen, what are some of the concerns of the University of Iowa right now? We do know that, you just mentioned it, you know, COVID-19, it, it, it takes on its own course in a way. With their lighting up, with the restrictions being a little lightened, what are you all expecting as far as if it comes to Johnson County? And are there any advocacies that you're hoping either to get to the governor's office, get to Johnson County Public Health, or even locally to cities and, 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 and leadership there? I think that our perspective, and you know, me and you've been talking about this since the beginning. Um, and so I think that the challenge of this, where my perspective has changed since when we first spoke, is that I am firmly of the belief that this is a marathon and that uh, uh, this summer will not be the end of it. That's my belief. Um, I think we will see this in the fall, in the winter, et cetera, until there is a vaccine that is successful and our community has broad-based immunity. I don't think we'll ever be out of the woods. 
So I think this is the beginning of a new chapter, not just a couple of months of COVID. Uh, I'm thinking through this as, a, as something that could last a year. And so um, I think that what we have to start messaging to folks is this is a new normal. That if you are hoping to get back to the way that it was in February, that's just not relevant. And so even when I look at what the governor is saying, uh, although it's called opening up, if you look at it, that's not opening up. It's it's still gradually opening up with a, lots of conditions that make it completely different than it used to be. Um, we're still going to have to stick to those key messages that you've been promoting from the get-go. Whatever is open, you need to socially distance. Whatever is open, you need to practice good hand hygiene. Whatever is open, you need to limit your activity outside. Um, all of these things are going to be key principles. And for us as a hospital system, what we want to do is uh, we want to make sure that we're still open to take care of non-COVID patients. Uh, in the last several months, both nationally and the state, um, do you know that there's been a radical uh, decrease in the number of heart attacks and strokes? And uh, I, it's not because suddenly in two, three months, uh, all Americans have suddenly become healthier. It's because folks are not coming in for the care that they need. Um, you know, we've had patients even who show up here a week later that say, I was in severe chest pain for the last three days and I was having a tough time breathing. I just didn't know if I should come into the hospital. And that's, I'm being serious. That's a literal example. So when we think through this, we think through this as if this is the way it's going to be over the next year, we all have to figure out how to do the things we need to do in a safe way. Uh, there is no such thing as just going back to the way that it was. It's a new normal. So whether we're looking at opening back up schools, whether we're looking at opening up businesses, whether we're looking at opening up barber shops, whatever it is, whenever it is, in whichever county it is, um, the message has to continue to be, it's not back to normal. Um, hopefully we can bring back what our community is good at. You know, we're good at education. We're good at business. We're good at all sorts of things, but we got to define a new way to keep people safe and get that done. So along those lines, I don't have any objection to opening up, but I think that uh, as we open up, we have to continue to promote health and safety. One of the things that I'm learning is that educational piece, we're taking it for granted that people really do understand what it means to social distance. All right, so six feet, people kind of know what that means. Wearing a mask, all right, people might know what that mean if they wear the mask um, it protects someone else the the risk is lower if someone else wears the mask it can protect them people may have that to a certain degree but the hand washing so by education i i went through rn school and and so i remember health skills you know one where we went through the the technique of washing your hands and take uh, putting on gloves and removing gloves now i've heard from people where their child leaves the house or even an adult leaves the house with their gloves on go and run their errands they stop at the gas station they go to the grocery store and they come back home and then they have on those same gloves they have you know thinking that they're protecting themselves from COVID-19 or decreasing their risk and they didn't even do any type of wearing the gloves properly. And so one of the things that is becoming apparent to me, if we're gonna start opening up things and we're gonna have restaurants, I, I believe that there needs to be some of the strict guidelines that the governor has stated 
you know, right now I believe it's six people that can be at a table and it has to be six feet away. Well, I, I feel like staff needs a little training. Typically we talk, we train our staff on how to serve food properly, safely. And now I believe there needs to be some more training related to COVID-19 for whatever industry to ensure that they're safe. And that's one thing that I've just, I haven't heard a lot of training going on outside of, you know, just the terminology, you know, stay, stay six feet away and that type of stuff. But I do believe that we may be at a, because this is a new way of life, we may have to incorporate some, some training per industry. You're absolutely right. We, uh, and as you know, we've been talking about this for a while, and I think that uh, that's one of the key things is how can we educate businesses um, and other organizations on how to best implement these kinds of measures? Uh, because the truth of it is, is that it's probably a good idea that uh, more things open up over the next several months. And it's also a good idea that we figure out how to stay safe as these things open up. And so I, I'm excited about being part of that conversation. Uh, I know that you'll help us uh, help lead that conversation in our community, but I think that uh, there's a great opportunity here. Yes. All right, let's talk about some hopeful things that's happening with this. And so the transfusion of plasma, the possibility of that happen from people that have been COVID-19 positive, Tell me about where the University of Iowa, what are you all doing with that information and, and the possibilities of that? So uh, Dr. Brooks Jackson, who's our Vice President for Medical Affairs and Dean of the Carver College of Medicine, uh, he's not only the boss here, but he's also uh, actually uh, clinically trained and an expert in these areas along a lot of other doctors here at, at the University of Iowa. So we've actually already been able to not only accept donations from recovering COVID-19 patients, we've already benefited over 20 patients in our hospital by receiving plasma from recovering patients. And so uh, it's too early. I mean, I think uh, one of the things that because of all the media attention, everybody's been uh, giving out their results before they're even uh, fully studied. All I can tell you right now is we've, we've done over 20 patients. We continue to offer this therapy to more patients. It looks promising, but we don't have anything to publish yet. Uh, but we think this is a very valuable therapy and uh, many other centers across the country believe so as well. And so we're really excited to offer this uh, to everyone in Iowa City and, and all of our patients. I think it's hopeful. Now, it is. There's, there's antiviral meds that have worked for SARS and MARS. What, are you all doing anything there as far as any trials or? The only trial we've currently participated in formally is Gilead's remdesivir, um, which uh, has had um, some success with other um, diseases, but that's really where we are. We have a lot of researchers that are working on a lot of different uh, therapies uh, in collaboration with private industry and other labs across not only the country, but also the world. And so uh, we think that uh, a lot of that's promising, but it's pretty early stage. Yes, well, looking forward to whatever comes out. I think uh, if it helps people in the least amount, even if it doesn't bring the cure, uh, I think right now people in our community want anything to help decrease the symptoms, which I know that the university is doing some things to help uh, individuals receive some medicines to help decrease their symptoms. Overall, I just want to 
say thanks to the University of Iowa, thanks to you and your leadership, thanks to Dr. Brooks, who I've also been in conversation with. The partnership that we've established during the COVID-19 has been great. I really have been enlightened by the commitment that the university has to our community and also just the transparency that you all have provided to the Iowa City City Council for specifically as well as to our community. So thanks to you all, you really have helped us along this process is all new to me, all new to our council. Um, new, it's, it's a global thing that, you know, in our lifetime, we haven't dealt with this. And so thanks for all that you all are doing. Is there any final words you would like to say to those in our community? No, I just wanted to thank you, uh, Mayor Teague and Jeff and the, and, and the entire uh, city team, including the council. Uh, I think you hit the right um, uh, point, which is that uh, the only reason we will be successful is because we were collaborative. Um, these kinds of public health issues are broader than a public health issue. They're a community issue. They're a society issue. And the only way we we're going to have success against them, against these kinds of issues, is coming together, uh, figuring out solutions putting our people first. And uh, we at UIHC are just happy to be part of that. Um, we will always be here for the health of everyone in this county and in, the, in this state. And the good news is we're prepared um, to do that right now. We're not overwhelmed. Um, we can handle um, the patient volumes that come our way and we can handle all uh, medical conditions, not just COVID. Um, so I think that uh, we are in a really good spot because of support from you and the rest of the community. So we just wanna thank everyone for the continued support we get. And I appreciate your time today. Well, thanks for joining me today and we'll talk to you later. Thanks. And for more resources for medical experts, you can visit our website, go to icgov.org coronavirus, where you'll also find information regarding city response efforts. We'll be back again next week with another episode of Community Connection. Until then, stay in place, maintain your space and cover your face. Be safe because we're in this together, Iowa City.